You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. I've spent the last couple of weeks on the top of the show ranting uh, about abortion and ranting about Planned Parenthood and ranting about the GOP candidates, all the, uh, assholes and asswipes running for president on the right wing side. And I wanted to lighten things up this week and maybe talk about something sexy, weird, fun, crazy, maybe the emerging fetish of laying alien eggs inside yourself, as Vice described it, in a piece about ovipositors, which are basically alien dickish looking dildos that you spit large gelatin eggs into your ass or uh, vagina with that you put a large gelatin egg in one end and squeeze it up the ovipositor and it oviposits it in your butt or twat. And I thought maybe I'd talk about that because it's so crazy. You know, why, why, why do people have these kinds of fetishes? And, you know, it's interesting because people are bombarded with stimuli, pop culture. You know, there's a certain amount of people out there who are vampire fetishes, certain amount of people out there who grew up watching all this zombie uh, movies and zombie TV series who are going to have zombie fetishes when they grow up because pop culture has a way of crawling inside our collective erotic subconscious and laying eggs that in some cases hatch into crazy, fascinating, pleasurable kinks that can safely be explored and enjoyed with other consenting adult partners who want to pretend they're aliens depositing eggs in you. But I'm not going to be able to dedicate the top of the show to that because Mike Huckabee I'm sorry, we're going to have to circle back to this because fucking Mike Huckabee, a 10-year-old girl in Paraguay who was raped by her stepfather, was denied an abortion because abortion is in Paraguay the way right-wingers like Mike Huckabee want abortion to be here in the United States. Abortion in Paraguay illegal in all circumstances. No exceptions for rape victims. No exceptions to save the life of the mother. No exceptions for incest. 10-year-old girl raped by her stepfather, denied an abortion, forced to give birth at the risk of her life. And Mike Huckabee on CNN this weekend said that he supported that, said that that was exactly what should have been done. It was the right thing to do, and it is the thing that should be done to American 10-year-old girls who are raped. And it reminded me of the 9-year-old girl who was raped in Brazil whose mother took her to the doctor because she had a stomach ache. And the doctors realized that this nine-year-old girl was four months pregnant with twins. And they performed a life-saving abortion. A nine-year-old girl cannot carry twins to term without dying. And the doctors and the mom went for an abortion, had an abortion, had those fetuses aborted. And the Catholic Church excommunicated the mother, excommunicated the doctors who performed the abortion, you know who they didn't excommunicate? They didn't excommunicate the rapist. They didn't excommunicate that little girl's stepfather who had raped her. But mom and the docs excommunicated for saving that little girl's life. This is the Catholic Republican abortion model that Mike Huckabee and Scott Walker and Marco Rubio and Jeb Bush and Rand Paul all want to impose on American women and American girls. And they are out there beating the drums against Planned Parenthood. 3% of what Planned Parenthood does is provide abortions. 
And they are arguing that they're going to defund Planned Parenthood. And governors, Republican governors, are bragging about how they are not waiting for the federal government to defund Planned Parenthood. They're defunding it now at the state level. Utah this week, on top of Mike Huckabee's asshole comments, became the fifth state to defund Planned Parenthood. The fifth state where the Republican governor has ordered the bureaucrats under him not to disperse federal funds that have already been allocated and provided to Utah to fund Planned Parenthood's non-abortion, 97% of what Planned Parenthood does, operations. And he's done it and he's bragging. Let's take a quick visit to Utah, shall we? Highest porn consumption rates in the country, abstinence-only education, and in an unrelated development, gonorrhea infection rates up more than 700% for Utah women, almost 300% for Utah men. That's the headline, March 16th, this year, 2015. This is not a state that should be defunding Planned Parenthood. This is a state that should be pouring more money into Planned Parenthood. This is a state that should be revisiting its decision to go with abstinence-only education. This is a state that needs to get real about the fact that people are interested in sex and are going to have sex. Oh, Utah. I've visited. I've snowboarded in Utah. It's a lovely state full of lovely people, many of whom are in complete denial about sex. They want to pretend that sex is something that good and decent people don't do and are not interested in. And yet look at their porn consumption rates highest in the country. Look at their STI rates which are getting to be the highest in the country. And that is tied to the abstinence-only sex education that young people are subjected to in Utah, which encourages young people when they become sexually active not to bother with condoms or birth control because so much abstinence education is grounded in lies about condoms and birth control. They tell them that condoms don't work. And then when young people decide – to have sex. They don't use condoms because they heard, they were told by teachers, by authority figures, by their religious leaders, by their faith leaders, that condoms don't work. So they don't bother with them. They don't use them. And then what do you get? You get high STI rates. You get high rates of unplanned pregnancies. You get more abortions, which everyone's against. But the same assholes who are against abortion are also against contraception because they're really not against abortion. As we saw in Colorado, where there was a wildly successful program to provide long-lasting birth control methods to young people, teenagers, to poor women, IUDs, cut the abortion rate and the unplanned pregnancy rate 40-plus percent, and Republicans killed it. Republicans killed it. You've probably seen this reported places as the Colorado legislature killed it. Legislators in Colorado decided not to continue funding the program. No. Killed on a party-line vote in a Colorado State House committee by Republicans. They're going to drive the abortion rate up in Colorado. And then, uh, because they don't really hate abortion as much as they hate sex. And they believe that people who have sex should be punished for having sex. So if you have sex and get an STI, they're like, good, you deserved it. If you have sex and you get pregnant when you didn't want to get pregnant, perhaps because you didn't have access to birth control, they're like, good, you should be punished. You should have to carry that baby to term, you dirty fucking sex maniac. You had sex. These are the consequences. Deal with them. And this is the message that they're sending not just to adults around consensual sex, but to 10-year-old rape victims. They believe, Mike Huckabee believes, that a 10-year-old rape victim needs to be punished, needs to be forced to carry that baby to term. 
In 31 states, rapists enjoy custodial rights. So a woman who is impregnated by rape or a 10-year-old fucking little girl impregnated by rape who is forced by law or circumstance to carry that baby to term is going to have that rapist potentially in their lives for the rest of their lives. What a lovely incentive for stalkers and abusive ex-boyfriends and husbands to rape and impregnate their wives and girlfriends and stepdaughters under a regimen where abortion is illegal in all cases. Because if you want that person, that woman, never to be able to get away from you right now, 31 states, pretty effective way to accomplish that is to rape that woman or that little girl. I'm sorry. I know I've been talking about this a lot at the top of the show recently, but this shit really drives me fucking bananas. And we're all running in circles with our much better hair on fire talking about Donald Trump and his awful hair. While this is what's – this sewage is flowing underneath the discourse about Donald Trump and his hair and Ben Carson and his no brain and – Carly Fiorina and her ability to speak in complete sentences, which makes her a viable Republican candidate. That's how low the bar is set. I should be talking about ovipositors. I really did want to start the top of this week's show talking about something fun and light and weird and offbeat and sexy and kind of unpack it and explain it. Like what's sexy about this thing that seems pretty unsexy? Aliens laying eggs in your butt. What's sexy about that? But I had to talk about this again. Somebody actually approached me in a bar this weekend who's a podcast listener and said to me, to my face, that they didn't understand why I kept talking about this. I was never going to get anybody pregnant. I was never going to need an abortion because I am a homosexual. And I looked at this person and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm gay and I will never – and I'm a man. I will never need an abortion and I will never impregnate anyone. But these women people, I happen to be related to some of them. I have nieces who are little nine-year-old girls and I don't want them to grow up in a state or a country where if they are raped, they will be forced by Mike Huckabee who has threatened to use the National Guard. Mike Huckabee is currently in third place in the Republican asshole sweepstakes. has threatened to use the National Guard to send out the National Guard to stop abortions. So Mike Huckabee, if your nine-year-old niece is raped, is going to put – a soldier at the entrance to her vaginal canal to prevent that abortion that she needs potentially to save her life. I don't want to live in a world. I don't want to live in a country where that happens to the women I know and love, the women I'm related to, the women I work with, the women who live next door to me, the wives, the mothers, the little girls across the street and up and down my block. That's why I give a shit about this. That's why I won't shut up about it. Now, I promise you, next week, top of the show, I won't, I, I'm not going to talk about this. No matter what happens, I'm not going to talk about this. But so long as the Republicans are getting away with saying this shit without blowback, so long as the big story is Donald Trump's hair and not what Mike Huckabee, Scott Walker, Jeb Bush, Rand Paul, Ben Carson, Carly Fiorina, and the rest of the idiots running for the Republican nomination are threatening to do to American women. I am going to keep talking about this at the top of the show on a regular basis between now and the Republicans defeat in November of 2016. We're all crossing our fingers. We're all looking up to the heavens here in the studio right now. And you should be too. And you should be paying attention to this stuff. And you are because you're listening to me. So you're paying attention to it. You are on the right side. You're doing the good thing. 
And speaking of good things, coming up on today's Lovecast, we've got Peter Sagal from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on National Public Radio, the news quiz show. I love it when NPR people, hosts come on my show because sometimes you get the impression in listening to NPR that none of these people have ever had sex. And they come on my show and you get the impression that actually they have had sex and they're pretty good at it from the sound of things. Peter Sagal coming up on today's show, taking some of your questions and lots more of your questions and other stuff. And next week, I promise, something like ovipositors at the top of the show. But all that other stuff, coming right up. Hi, Dan. I'm a 20-year-old bisexual female from California. Um, Lately, when I've been getting very, very horny, I have this very strange impulse to want to take someone from behind. What I mean by that is, My favorite position when I'm with my boyfriend is having sex doggy style. I think it's very pleasurable. He enjoys it. I enjoy it. It's a great time. Lately, when I've been masturbating, um, I've been imagining myself just thrusting my clit really hard into someone else. And I'm wondering what this means or if this is normal. Um, Being a bisexual female, um, I've never... Uh, eaten the woman out from behind, um, nor have I ever thrusted into anyone from behind um, with any kind of sex toy. Um, but I just suddenly had this urge and this craving, and I was just wondering, is this normal? And where is this coming from? Is this normal? No. And who cares? Where is this coming from? I have no idea. And that's the wrong question. The right question is, When can I do this? And you put that question to your boyfriend. Your clit is probably not big enough to thrust into him. That's what strap-ons are for. And you can get a fieldo, which is a dildo that uh, looks like sort of a half-melted boomerang. And the short end goes into your vaginal canal. And it's designed in such a way that your vaginal canal can grip it. And then there's a dildo that comes out. You wear it with a harness. And you can... Take your boyfriend from behind, doggy style, provided he's into that sort of thing and might enjoy that sort of thing. So you're asking the wrong questions. Deviance is the norm when it comes to human sexuality. So in one way, by being deviant in this way, by deviating, you are completely normal. But if by is this normal, you mean is this normative? Do the vast and overwhelming majority of women desire this or want to do this? Probably not. But maybe, who knows? They're not asking this on the census. So we're never going to have a really good answer for you on whether it's normative. And it's irrelevant. Doesn't matter. Who gives a shit? And the other question, why? Who knows? It turns you on. Why ask why? All you need to ask yourself is when it comes to a turn on, can I do this without harming myself, without harming someone else? Is it something that can be done consensually uh, in a healthy way that's mutually pleasurable for all involved and concerned? And if the answer to those questions Yes, then you stop wondering why. You stop asking yourself if it's normal and you get yourself to the woman-owned sex-positive sex toy store online or in real life and you get yourself the gear you need to make this happen. Hi, Dan. 29-year-old gay male calling from the Midwest. I'm calling because I have a question about this guy I've been seeing for over a year now. We first met online on a hookup site, and our first encounter was definitely just sexual. Um, But we had a spark. 
and we had really good sex. So we met up after that a few times and a few times turned into a few more times. And before I knew it, it was like six months. We started to get emotionally attached. We talked on the phone every once in a while, FaceTimed, Snapchatted, and texted each other pretty much every day. Every day now for about a year, we've had some sort of communication every day. So our relationship has gone beyond just fuck buddy, friends with benefits. It's a little something more now, but it's not a serious relationship. So this guy is claims to be bisexual, says he's bisexual, but he's not out to anyone about his bisexuality. He, none of his friends know, none of his family knows. He has hooked up with a couple of guys before me, but I'm the only guy that he's ever gotten emotionally involved with. So we've had a couple of conversations about him coming out or if he ever planned on it. He's said maybe, he's said never say never. But the last conversation we had, he point blank said, I don't ever plan on coming out. Now, as far as I'm concerned, you know, this is a point where I'm going to end this relationship, scale back on it a lot, just for my own, I know what I need to do on my end. But my question is, he still wants to be friends, and I don't know what to do about that, because I'm still going to be emotionally hurt from it. I'm definitely going to need some time if we can even be friends. But he doesn't have any other outlet to talk about these gay issues with. And just his adamant statement of, I never want to come out, I just wholeheartedly, fundamentally don't agree with not coming out. I came out when I was 16, and it was the best decision I've ever made in my life. And I just don't know what to say to someone who says they're never going to come out. I don't know if I should stay in touch with him, be his friend. I I just don't know what to do about that situation in terms of staying in touch with him, staying his friend. Um, as far as our relationship, I know I need to end it and move on. I agree that you have to end this relationship. Obviously, I mean the romantic relationship. Obviously, you cannot continue to date someone who is never going to come out of the closet. You can't be romantically involved with someone who insists on hiding you, someone who's in the closet who asks you to date them without their taking real concrete steps to come out sooner rather than later is dragging you back into the closet. And that's not something I think a person has a right to do. And I don't think it's anything that an out person should submit to or consent to or, or concede. You came out as a very young person, probably at great risk and great personal cost because you wanted to live openly and with some integrity. And if you continue to see this guy, continue to milk this guy, continue to have a relationship with this guy that you can't talk about or be open about and he can never be there for you in the ways that our romantic partners are there for us that betray the fact that it's a romantic relationship without it being fucking in public – that's not a relationship. That's not a healthy, functional relationship. That's not the kinds of relationships that people who come out of the closet come out of the closet to have. Now, should you be his friend after you dump him? 
Well, that's a whole other question. Some people might look at you and say, if you refuse to be this guy's friend because he's not out, you're judging him. You're in some way retaliating against him or punishing him for not yet being ready to come out and coming out as a process and everybody comes out at their own pace and blah, blah, blah. And I reject that. I don't think out people are obligated to be friends with closet cases because if your friendship with that closet case is built around this shared interest in dick, if you're their friend that they talk to about sex, if that's what your friendship is supposed to be about, you're not going to have sex anymore, but you're the only person in his life that he can be open with about the gay shit or the gay sex that he's having or the man-on-man sex he's having and he needs you for that, then you know, in the same way that you, when you were in a relationship with him, he was dragging you into the closet with him, you will be his closet friend. That your friendship will be shrouded in secrecy and shame and lies and everything else those of us who are out of the closet came out of the closet to get away from. I think you say to him, I can't be your romantic partner while you're closeted and I can't be your gay friend, not your friend, but your gay friend while you're closeted. That the price of admission to be either my romantic partner or my close friend is for you to be healthy about who you are, which means you have to be out about who you are. And I'm not, and, and sometimes people who are closeted who want out of the closet friends and they want the closeted life and the uncloseted life, what they don't realize is what they're asking of the out of the closet person is to selectively recloset themselves. That that kind of policing that we had to do all of the time when we were closeted so as not to betray who we are, that that switch in our brain that to our relief, we got to turn off when we were finally out to everyone in our lives and we no longer had to think about everything we said and who we said it to and who knew and who didn't know and where we could be ourselves and where we couldn't be ourselves. You have to reactivate all of that machinery. You have to flip that switch back on not to police your own you know, police how you're being perceived or what you're doing or what you're saying or what, how you might betray yourself, but to police what you're doing or saying and how you might betray your closeted friend. And that is exhausting. And it's not something that a closeted person has a right to ask or expect from their out-of-the-closet friends. You stopped keeping your secret about your sexuality because it was an exhausting, emotionally draining waste of time. Come here and be my friend. Keep my secret. And it will be an exhausting, emotionally draining waste of time. It won't take up as much time, but it still will drag you back to that ugly, self-censoring, constantly having to think about who knows, who doesn't know, who am I allowed to tell, who am I not allowed to tell place. And that's the place that when we come out, we leave behind. I have no interest in going back to that place. I will not have closeted friends. I don't think you should have closeted friends either. And if going to him and saying, can't be your fuck buddy, can't be your friend with benefits, can't be your quasi-romantic Snapchatting, texting partner while you're closeted, and I can't be your friend either, maybe that will give him the incentive that he needs to transition from never coming out, back to never say never, back to maybe, back to now. Now I'm coming out. The closet costs people peace of mind, costs people relationships. And being aware of those costs, feeling them, is what ultimately 
inspires people who are out to come out. We realize the price we're paying to be closeted, the grief and loss of being closeted is greater than whatever we fear losing after we come out. Losing you, not just as a fuck buddy romantic friend, but even as just a plain old platonic friend, maybe that cost will help bring him to his senses. Maybe that cost, paying that cost, will help him see that he needs to come the fuck out and be a fucking grown-up already. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old queer woman from Canada. Um, I just got out of a long-term relationship with a woman, maybe four years, and um, it's been about five months. I just kind of started dating a little bit. I met this person, this man from Tinder, who I immediately, like, really loved, and not loved, but I really liked and made strong feelings for. Um, However, when we met in person, he was significantly heavier in person than his pictures. I knew he was a chubby guy. When I met him in person, he was, like, a very chubby guy. And that just, I honestly felt a little bit angry at him for portraying himself in a certain way, sending me pictures that were clearly at a certain angle or maybe a little bit older pictures. And I just kind of felt uh, hurt by that. I don't know. And now I do still like him. I love talking to him on the phone, but I don't really want to ever see him in person again. So I don't know what to do about that. I kind of want to tell him, like, listen, you got to stop doing this because people are going to build this image of you and then they see you in person and it's like, wow, you just catfished me. You're the same person, but you're just like significantly heavier. I feel like a bad person for saying this. I just want to know your input. I'm sure this happens a lot. Um, But what do you think about it? I think you made a mistake that Aziz Ansari and Eric Kleinenberg, his co-author, write about at some length in their new book, Modern Romance. In that it sounds like you met this person on Tinder, but then you didn't meet them in person before you engaged with them through texts or emails for a very long time. You formed a kind of emotional connection before meeting, and now you feel very conflicted because there's not a physical attraction. An emotional attraction has been established. A sort of emotional rapport has been established. You have invested time and emotional energy in this person, and now you feel like a terrible person because you met and physically – He's not for you and you feel terrible because what does it say about you that you like this person so much via text? It says that you're shallow. It says that what? That you're not attracted to him. He's big. There are people attracted to big people, right? He should be honest about who he is. His picture should look like who he is so he doesn't put himself in this situation and he put himself in this situation by misrepresenting himself physically And then engaging with you for a very long time, putting off a meeting, in some way subconsciously, perhaps because maybe he's insecure, he worries that no one will want to date him if they see him first. He's the author of this impasse, of of what's about to happen to him, which is rejection. You're going to reject him. That's what you're going to do. And you shouldn't feel bad about it. He misrepresented himself. He should represent himself accurately so that people who are attracted to him and his type will seek him out. Which is why in modern romance, it's good advice. Aziz and Eric talk about how you just don't get into a texting, emailing relationship with someone for weeks or months before you actually meet them face to face. A few exchanges of emails or texts and then a quick meeting. 
That's how you do it to avoid just this sort of situation where you're both emotionally invested in each other now and there will be hurt feelings. Yours too, not just his because you're going to feel like an asshole. It's better to, I guess, feel like an asshole than to feel the sting of rejection, but it still sucks to be put in a position where you feel like an asshole. And you've been put in a position where you are going to feel like an asshole. And who put you in that position? He did. And you. You. By making the mistake of not insisting on a prompt face-to-face meeting before you were emotionally invested. Don't make that mistake again. Hi. um, This is a 30-year-old woman from the Midwest. And I have a question that I'm just really not sure about. So I was at the airport the other day. And I I saw a really, really handsome guy. And it's been very rare in my life that I've wanted to go up to someone and be like, wow, you know, you're, you're really handsome. But it's just, so then I was looking at him in the airport and as he walked by, I noticed that he, he was a double amputee. So he didn't have, he had like a, you know, uh, his leg and his arm missing. I think he was a serviceman. And then I was thinking like, well, do I say anything? Because if I did, I wouldn't want someone to think that I was fetishizing them because or, you know, being ableist or being condescending. And then I just thought that maybe all of those are exactly what I just wished I wasn't. So I'm just really confused. I'm thinking of all these things. I listen to your podcast so often. I wrestle with this question. I've written about this in the past, for decades, wrestled with this question. You know, there are a lot of people out there who are amputees and there are some people out there who are attracted to people who are amputees not despite their disability, but because of their disability. I also know, and I've heard from people who are amputees, that when they experience that trauma, that one of the things that traumatizes them is this idea that they are no longer desirable, that no one will want to fuck them. And then they go out into the world as an amputee and they encounter someone who wants to fuck them and it's queered for them in a weird way. That this person who wants to fuck them, which is good news because they feared that no one would ever want to fuck them because they were amputees, wants to fuck them because they're an amputee. This this life-changing, traumatizing experience is erotic to this other person. And not everyone can be desired for something that for them was experienced as, as pure, painful, life-altering trauma. But some people can and you don't know what kind of person that amputee is until you risk hitting on them and maybe you'll be knocked down. Maybe that person will be delighted to know that there are people out there who are attracted to them. Maybe you smile at that person and let them do with that what they will. You know, I've talked to people who are amputees who the first time they encountered a devotee, which is what people who are attracted to amputees call themselves, they were really put off by it for the reasons I cite. Like how can you be attracted to this thing? It was the worst thing that ever happened to me and this is why you want to date me because of the worst thing that ever happened to me. You wouldn't be in my life if it weren't for the worst thing that ever happened to me. And then eventually after encountering perhaps one or two more devotees and maybe dating one, maybe dating somebody they didn't realize was one until it came out later, they get to a place where they can compartmentalize, where they can recognize that there is an initial physical attraction that draws any two people together and it is surface, right? It is shallow. It is two-dimensional, that initial attraction. And 
what's established as you date someone is are they attracted to everything else you bring to the table? Do they see you not just as an object but as a human being? And there are people out there who fetishize people because of their race, because of their size, because of their amputation or because of their missing limb or limbs who can only see them as a sex object, as that race, as that size, as that amputee. But there are people who are initially attracted to those things who can see – who do see that person as everything else they are too. I really don't have an answer for you here. This is a really complicated situation. If there are amputees out there listening, please call and tell us how you feel about this, how you would want – I'm not going to – sitting here with all four of my limbs, although I'm riding a bike all over Seattle. That could be untrue next week by the time this podcast is broadcast. But I'm not going to say how – an amputee would feel about being approached by a stranger in an airport is attracted to them. But I would love to hear from amputees who might be listening about how you would feel about being approached by a stranger in an airport is attracted to you. You know, we say for all the able-bodied people, we say just generally that it's kind of not okay to walk up to strangers in airports, on buses, in classrooms that you're physically attracted to. And just to throw that out there, that, you need to save that kind – You know, we want the world to be a place where people can move through their day without feeling sexually harassed or scrutinized. So there are places that by, 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 by going into them, by entering them, you're saying, you may approach me now. Certain kinds of bars, gay and straight. Certain kind of apps, gay and straight. That when you're there, you're saying, hit on me. This is, this is a time and a place where I'm welcoming you to scrutinize me, to sexually up- – to approach me with sexual intent and it won't we won't regard it as harassment so long as you back the fuck off if I tell you that I'm not interested or indicate to you that I'm not interested. An airport isn't one of those places, although people have met the loves of their lives on airplanes and in airports. So perhaps an amputee approached in an airport by someone who's attracted them would feel no differently than anybody else approached in an airport when they're just not in a mental space where they're welcoming someone's sexual attentions or attractions, but perhaps not. So amputees who can hear the sound of my voice, who've been approached by devotees. I'm really interested in where you come down on this. Is it better to be with someone who is attracted to you despite your disability than it is to be with someone who's attracted to you because of your disability? Which is more awkward? Which is more freeing? To be with someone who loves you for and is attracted to your physical person and everything else or to be with someone who loves you so much they can overcome their fear or their assumptions or to be with someone who loves you so much that they can look past your disability. Which do you prefer or is it something you really don't have to pick between? Give us a call, 206-302-2064. Hi, Dan Savage. I'm calling from Western Canada in a rural location, just kind of out in the country. I'm 28 years old and I'm straight and I'm single. I've been single for about two years, uh, which is, you know, actually not really my issue. That's fine. I had a really um, damaging relationship that ended two years ago. I've been spending a lot of time figuring both myself out relationship-wise and just like life and career. Um, so that's cool. Um, my politics are pretty left-leaning. I would say it's both uh, relevant to this question, both economically and 
would say I'm pretty left-wing that way. I'm also consider myself a feminist. This is all important. Um, I was raised a really conservative Christian, and that really, in a really kind of repressive, sexual way, um, really was taught not to to feel guilty every time I touched myself, like all this horrible, horrible shit. Um, I mean, that's far behind me, but it still kind of affects me in a lot of ways. Um, so here I am, I'm single, I'm kind of living out there right now. I'm not in the city. I'm not really expecting to date right now, but I want to explore some kinks in the theater of my mind. Uh, and I want to be able to think about these things in maybe more of a healthy way so that when I am in a relationship, I'll be able to handle things. So I guess my problem is I, I feel like some of the things that I feel attracted to do, uh, go against my politics and I'm really confused. I'm, you know, if you were to meet me, people find me quite mental in a lot of ways. Uh, and sometimes, um, I wouldn't say I'm like into BDSM or anything like that. Uh, but I, I'm somewhat attracted to weird power dynamics, but more so on levels of like, I wouldn't even say like master slave doesn't really interest me. And I, I feel like I'm actually a pretty vanilla person in a lot of ways, but I, I'm just more positions of power. And that seems to be weird against my feminist politics and my economic kind of left leaning politics. And I, I don't understand that. And it makes me uneasy. And maybe I'm still dealing with all this conservative guilt. So I just re-listened to your call. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know uh, what's playing in the theater of your mind right now. What's on stage? You give us no specifics about these kinks. You sort of generally say power dynamics. You reject the BDSM label, although dom-sub, bondage, discipline, sadomasochism, also uh, DS is sometimes lumped together with BDSM or considered part of BDSM. And that's dom-sub, which is just eroticized power dynamics. So yeah. what, what is it that you're fantasizing about? Um, you know, I think it's, it's probably much simpler, and I'm probably just scared to admit and I'm just probably filling myself with a lot of shame. It's probably not really that kinky at all. Um, I will be the I, judge of that. <laughs> Tell. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, uh, definitely uh, there's probably two things. Definitely some sort of threesome thing where in the future I have a partner and I'm fucking somebody else and they're watching me. That's pretty simple. But the other thing that comes up into my brain is um, – Wait, I didn't catch that. You you have a partner, but you're sucking somebody else. No, it, else? like that would be like a fantasy, right? So just a regular three way, or some sort of power dynamic three way. Your partner's tied up on the floor while you th while you're fucking somebody else. Yeah, yeah. So 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 it's yeah. more like you know cuckolding or cuckqueening if you were doing it to ladies, where you have this right to sleep with other people and you rub their nose in it. Mm, I don't know. I'd like to. I'd like people to get off on that. I'd like everyone to be getting off. Right, but 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 you know, obviously, the person yeah. who's having their nose rubbed in it would also be aroused by having their nose being having their nose rubbed in it. That's what cuckolding, okay. eroticized cuckolding, in that scene is all about. Like, my wife is cheating on me, and she forced me to kiss the feet of the guy who's who's fucking her and I'm so turned on. It's so humiliating. I'm so turned on. It's not, I'm crying. It's, it's so hot. It's so humiliating. Those things bundled together. Yeah. I don't look, I just, I don't even know. I guess of the other half of it is like, I think about, um, work dynamics that would like obviously never happen because I, I like my profession, but I, uh, and like, it doesn't work with how I think of my job right now. But, um, 
I sometimes I have this like fantasy of being in the position of power at work and exploiting where, like, yeah. Right. And like, I don't actually want that, but like, I also want that, but I actually don't want that. If that makes sense. Right. That makes total sense. And that's really common. There are people who have much more extreme and on the face of it, sort of disturbing fantasies. You know, there are people out there who have you know, Jewish people out there who have erotic fantasies about, concentration camp role play scenarios with guys and women who look like Nazis. Right. And that's like, wow, that's crazy fucked up. They don't really want that. Nobody really wants to be back in 1943 in a concentration camp. Cause that's so arousing, but there's something about those insane power dynamics that some part of their erotic brain through no sort of intention, you know, no triumph of the will latched onto those images and eroticized them. And you can mm-hmm. be disturbed by that. You can fight it. You can, or you can roll with it and find a healthy consensual way to incorporate that joy and that pleasure into your sex life. All it requires is finding someone who is also turned on by that shit and wants to mm-hmm. do it, wants to realize their fantasies as well. And those women are out there. I get letters every day from women who are like, I'm a strong feminist, but I have these great, you know, I really want to be thrown around or have my hair pulled or be dominated in bed. And the letters always end with either. I feel really conflicted about that. Cause I'm a strong feminist or I can't find a feminist boyfriend who'll do that for me, even though I'm asking him to do these things that I want. So it's not anti-feminist to give a woman what she wants. And so long as the, you know, power differentials are eroticized and exaggerated and compartmentalized, and it doesn't wash over into the rest of an otherwise egalitarian relationship between mm-hmm. equals. It's not a problem. It's just cops and robbers. It's just role play. Yeah. It's just play. It's just fun. Yeah. You don't have to feel guilty about it. You should feel guilty about it if you suppress this. And, you know, sex always wins. In the end, right? If you have all these crazy desires that are about dom-sub, that are about eroticized power dynamics, and you don't find – you don't create a space in your life to indulge and enjoy them, at some point you're going to seize an opportunity to realize them that is fucked up and not okay. You'll be at work and you'll be in a power position over somebody else and they will be flirting with you and it will seem like sexy crazy and you will go for it because you never got to go for it before. You never allowed yourself to, you know, find somebody who wants to play, you know, reenact scenes from the movie Secretary with you. I think that might be a movie I need to watch now or something. Yeah, watch Secretary. I think that will (laughs) – you'll find stuff in there that's very arousing if part of your turn on is, you know, workplace power differentials and, you know, their erotic component or sex in that with that power Mm -hmm. differential coming on. But, you know, there's tons of people out there who eroticize power differentials and a lot of them are women and a lot of those women – are feminist women. Great. <laughs> and you should find one. And then what's happening? You, you strip away like, oh, look at the, you know, she's on the floor. She's submitting. But if it's what she wants to do for her own pleasure. That momentary submission during sex. There's nothing anti-feminist mm-hmm. about it. Look at there. Look over there. There's a woman doing what she wants. That's not feminism. Right? That, that's yeah. basically the attitude of a lot of people. Even people who have these fantasies. Like, I can't do what I want as a woman. That would not be feminist. No, that's actually totally 
aligned with feminist principles, women getting to be who they are and getting to do what they want and advocating for their own pleasure and having agency even in a sexual encounter where you are pretending to surrender your agency and control and power. You're giving it up willingly and temporarily. Yeah. It would be shitty and anti-feminist of you to find somebody who wasn't into, into this stuff and kind of make being with you, if she was in love with you, conditional upon submitting to these fantasies of yours that make her feel degraded and terrible and awful. Yeah, I don't want that. And that happens, right? Like there are people out there doing shit in their sex life with somebody that they love that they just hate that leaves them feeling terrible because they feel they have to. They're doing these things under duress. And that's so unnecessary because there's so many people out there who want to do these things because they want to do these things that there's no need for someone with your fantasy set to manipulate someone into doing these things. You're, the internet exists to provide you with people whose fantasies align with your own. And these are very common submission fantasies, you know, very simple ones, just like a very subtle power play dynamic, uh, you know, very subtle dom sub dynamics. Uh, from that all the way to, you know, crazy master slave role play. That's very common fantasy set for, for women. Okay. And there's so, also, and there's all sorts of studies out that are coming out in the last few years that show that people who engage in BDSM practices, people who engage in dom sub sex are just as healthy and sometimes healthier than the average person than, than the regular population because they are, They've accepted themselves. They've embraced these things that they want to do. They feel empowered by them and they're deriving mm-hmm. pleasure from them. So you don't mm-hmm. have to feel bad about this shit. That's good. So what's the best way to kind of just learn about all these different kinds of relationships in a pretty basic way? If I can just be like, this is what this is. Well, I'm still a little unclear about what it is that you want or what it is that you're interested in. Yeah, me too. In. Actually, honestly, me too. That's, so, I'm so vague. I think you should get online oh. and start reading erotica and pornography. There's a tremendous amount of erotica about dom sub relationships, about BDSM online. Almost all of it written by women, like Fifty Shades of Grey, but lots of even better stuff. And I think you need to explore with your computer and your right hand or left hand, if you're left-handed, your fantasies, and, and see what clicks for you. See what see what turns you on. Okay. And there are people out there in the S&M scene who initially, you know, had vague or unspecific dom-sub-ish fantasies. And then it clicked for them, like the sort of rules, regulations, trappings, roles, persona of more sort of ritualized and elaborate S&M worked for them. Like it just was taking what was already there and adding sets and costumes and props and scripts. And they sort of grew mm-hmm. into it. Maybe that's the kind of person you'll be in a few years or not. Maybe your fantasies will always be very sort of simple, like hair pulling and ass slapping and calling the shots in the sack. Maybe it'll always be that simple. And then that'll be kind of what turns you on. And there are plenty of women out there who that is exactly what they want. And most of those women out there that want that, want that from someone who respects them as an equal when they're not having sex. Yeah. And respects them as an equal actually when they are having sex, but pretends that they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, knows that this is a game that is that two people are playing together. These are two people playing cops and robbers, cowboys and Indians with your pants off. 
and with boners and orgasms for everybody. How awesome is that? How much fun is that? Stop, <laughs> stop being a nervous wreck about this. I can hear how nervous you are. Oh, even still? Even yeah. though, okay. The shit Shoot. that turns you on turns you on. You have nothing to feel guilty about and you have nothing to feel conflicted about if the shit that turns you on can be realized in a consensual way with other adults. And yes, you can. You can do this. Thanks. Thanks for calling back. You're welcome. Good luck. We're going to take a quick break from your calls because we have a very special guest in the studio, Peter Sagal. He is the host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR, the author of The Book of Vice. And you are here in Seattle on your way to a wedding. I'm here in Seattle on my way to a wedding. You are my third NPR host. I'm uh, so excited. To come on and give, give it a little sex well, advice. I know we you had, had Ira. You're not counting Ira. We had you? Ophira Eisenberg, who you must despise. I'll, well, Ophira and I are bitter enemies. Hateful. Because you both do news quizzes. Now. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, um, I don't know. Uh, think of two people who hate each other, and it's just like that. I'm, it must be. <laughs> it's, no, she's actually quite lovely. I'm Are you going to do a crossover? She's been on my show. I've been on her show. What about a crossover where you host her show one week and she hosts I would yours? be thrilled to do that. I would like to host this show. I would like to do cro- – <laughs> I am so bored doing like lim- doing fart limericks. Well, imagine how I feel. This is why I'm here. After 25 years of doing sex advice, I, I'm ready to move on to like HGTV you, and you, tell people what colors to paint their walls. Do you, ever, do you ever sit around, Dan, and think, God, if only there were another hole – <laughs> you know, geez, just something hey, else. I'm in a non-monogamous relationship. There's always another <laughs> hole. Just Terry will never have another hole. I hope. All right. I think with that. So you had a who? You had a Fira. You had Ira, who's not NPR. You know that. Oh, that's right. He's was PRI. Now he's, he's Mr. He's Independent. Independent. Yes, he's his own solar system. And so who else? Am I, so I'm number three. You're number three. I need I need to get like Terry Gross, and I'll win bingo if Terry, I get the middle did space. Did you hear Terry Gross came on our show and made jokes about bestiality? She is ready for this. Well, would you please put it? I word? would absolutely. I do think that. everyone wants to hear Terry Gross's sex advice. No one more than me. I think it would be awesome. We will get her on. Yes. Uh, I really appreciate you dropping by. It's I'm a fan pleasure. of your show. As you know, I'm a fan of yours. You're a fan of my shows, Mutual Appreciation, yes. Society, I, Moment. I, sh- I should say three things. First of all, uh, I'm thrilled to be here. Secondly, uh, the, the uh, tech-savvy, at-risk youth were everything I had dreamed. I had never thought I could be attracted to a white person with dreadlocks the way I just was. Luke and is really remarkable. He is way. something. And let's not even get into the you know gender normativity. But the third he thing is – He hasn't gotten the white people aren't allowed to wear dreadlocks anymore because it is cultural appropriation. No. Memo where one of the Kardashians had the dreadlocks slapped off her head by Twitter or on Twitter. He and justifies now, it. He works it. He, you know, I think it, all he'd need to do is walk down a street in Jamaica shirtless and I think that whole thing would vanish. I think he – leads the way. The third thing is the only qualification I have to be here, in addition to the very little research I did for my book a long time ago, is I'm a devoted listener and reader of yours. Well, thank so you. So basically, you're going to give advice and I'm going to say, yeah, that sounded right to me. <laughs> that sounded like what I would have guessed Dan might have said after yes. listening to him. Although I will also years. say this before we start. I, one of the things I do when listening to the podcast is just as sort of a mental game. I say, I try to anticipate what you will say based on long time listening and fandom. And I am almost always wrong. And I can't explain that. It's strange because I think, oh, Dan will come down hard on this guy, and you're very nice. Well, or, go, we're going to play the calls then. And okay. We'll ask you first what I would say, and then I'll oh say what God. I would say. Oh, my God. All right. And we'll see who's right. Hi, Dan and the Tech Savvy At-Risk Youth. I'm a 44-year-old bi guy in Vancouver, and I've been in a three-year on-again, off-again, long-distance relationship with a woman, and we do love each other very much. We both have kids, which complicates things moving forward, but we have talked about that often when the times are good and positive. 
After our most recent break, we've been finding our way back, but over the course of the relationship, we've both been hurt. It's easier for me to put the hurt aside, but it's much harder for her to trust again. She has repeatedly pointed out that she needs space and time to heal and to come back to me. At the same time, she's often characterized my actions as needy, and sometimes they probably were, but it feels very one-sided. I'm trying to give her the space that she needs, but she doesn't acknowledge that I sometimes need some affirmation from her about our relationship. She has in past said that for her to come completely back, she needs to get to a place of trust, and it means being completely committed and ready to move forward with being together, at least in the same city. Two weeks ago, she came to visit for a fantastic weekend in Vancouver, where we were able to be our kinky selves, and we really reconnected. During the parties, she continually introduced me as her partner. She came again to visit this weekend and stayed three miles from me with her sister, and then went to visit family. She had repeatedly said that it might be tough to get together because it's such a busy weekend. I'm understanding of her need for space and time and gave it, only saying that I was hoping to get all our kids together while she was here, even for a breakfast or a coffee. We even went to the same concert on Saturday night, but not together as the tickets were a gift to her daughter from her aunt. Needless to say, I didn't see her all weekend, and when she went to visit family on Sunday, there was complete silence. No more texts or phone calls, uh, and I didn't really hear from her until she arrived after her very long drive back home. I pointed out to her that I was disappointed that we didn't get to see her, and she responded aggressively by saying it was a guilt trip and that I chose not to hear her when she said it would be tough to get together. I've just listened to the caller in episode 458 where he was in a toxic relationship. I'm pretty sure that's where I am, as I don't think this is how a partner is supposed to be treated. It seems a very one-way partnership, Dan, very one-sided, and I'm hoping you can give me some advice although I worry it's going to be DTMFA, even though I'm feeling a little bit like a doormat. So straight guy to straight guy. Yeah, yes. Just talk to this man. I th- I th- didn't he say he was bi? Did he, sound- did he say he was bi? Oh, my God. Did I just misorient him? Yes. Oh, God. I, I disoriented always, him. I've always heard you don't believe that bi guys exist. I would, you I, just wished him out of existence. I, 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 my apologies to the bisexuals <laughs> everywhere. You know, you can't see what's happening here in the studio, but – I got a text message from uh, Terry at yes, the top of that call. Exactly and I looked at happened. my phone. I took my eye off the balls oh, for, for a second. <laughs> Sorry, that was so, so cheap, but so good. Straight guy, guy who has sex with guy women. Guy who has sex with women. Guy who has sex with women. Uh, first of all, I was actually going to comment that I'm actually somewhat relieved that bi guys, and you have to understand that I admire bi guys and I admire gay people more than I admire bi guys. I just think that you're just cooler. More than you admire straight guys. Yes. I think the straight guys at the bottom. Okay. You need to say that again because you said I admire bi guys and gay guys more than bi guys. Right. No, I said I said I admire bi guys more than straight guys and I admire gay guys more than bi guys more than straight guys because I think the gayer you are, the cooler you are has been my experience. That's because you're not gay. If you were gay, you would know so many more gay people. This is without question. And you would have had your heart stomped on by gay people. You would have had shitty toxic relationships with gay people and you wouldn't be so Irma Bombeck said the grass is always greener in the bathhouse. The ass is always greener. Even better. On the other side of the hole. Why am I competing with you? But the (laughs) point is that I am delighted to hear that a, a bisexual person who to my mind would be open and have kind of a universe of sexuality and understanding in his mind can be have his head just as far up his ass as any typical straight guy because it seems to me that this guy has his head up his ass. I have been there. I have I have rooted around my own lower intestine, my friend. 
so many times. So you have my sympathy. I hope but, you remembered to floss. Oh God! But you, but this, this. Oh, she did this, and then we were going to go to the concert together, but we sat apart. I mean, you are just so worried about this. Um, the best sex advice, other than I've gotten from Dan Savage, was from my grandmother forty years ago when I was broken up over some woman, and she said, "You know, another one gets off the trolley every ten minutes." And I have learned over the years that this is in fact true, that if this woman is not being the person that you need, say being the clingy koala bear that you would prefer to be in a relationship if with. If that's what you want, that's your right. There's nothing wrong with that. But if she's not doing it, then find somebody else. Don't think about it like, oh, I've got to dump her. That's a little aggressive mm-hmm. with apologies to the man who came up with DTMFA. But just say, you know, you need something else. Try this. Try living without it for a month. Or if you if you really like this woman, yeah, try chilling the fuck out. See, because that's because you're. She came to town and she said, "I probably won't be able to see you this weekend," Mm -hmm. and you are going at her with guilt trips and sad long faces, and and she said, "I probably won't be able to see you this weekend," and you're like, "We're going to be at the concert together. Maybe we see each other at the concert. Maybe we get our kids together for coffee. We're going to have breakfast." And you start rattling off all these ways that you could get together this weekend. She wanted to come to town and focus. On her family and her sister and you have to let her do that. Even if you were married to her and living under the same roof with her, yeah. there are going to be weekends where I speak to you from the future. There are weekends where you <laughs> don't see your spouse and that's good for your marriage. It's good for your relationship. You know what's interesting? This is, this is the, the different perspective. We arrive at the same point. You've dated men. You're saying to him, don't be an asshole. I have dated women and have been the guy dating women. I'm like, don't be pathetic. Uh-huh. But it's sort of the same thing. It's like stop this nonsense and stop worrying about this woman and, this and let it be. Self-defeating behavior. Yeah. He, you know, because th- – th- what's that fish where the male fish just attaches itself to the female fish and gets absorbed into the female fish's Suburban Jews. body? <laughs> Trust me on this. They're God's chosen fish. Exactly. No, we, we, we're we, – yes. Let's like not that get seems to be the kind of relationship that – that he wants, or maybe I'm, I'm exaggerating, but you know, caller, you asked if I would DTMFA this, and I would, but I would call her and tell her to DTMFA you if you can't chill the fuck out. I think we both arrive at the same place. You with sort of a crueler, more abusive way, me through more sympathetic, hey, we've both been their way, but just chill the fuck out. I completely agree. And getting back to the caller, I feel terrible, actually. I was just an asshole to him, and I feel terrible because he's so sensitive. Yes, a little Canadian. And he's, you know, at home wringing his hands over whether or not he's getting the, you know, required daily amount of contact and texts and emails and FaceTime from his girlfriend that you seem to really like and you have compatible kinks, it sounds like. And she's open to a future with you, but she's not open to a future with you where she's going to have to live in a Skinner box in your basement that you sit on top of all day long every day so that you can constantly be together. That she wants to be an individual who's in a relationship. She doesn't want to be an individual subsumed into a relationship. And you're going to have to develop that skill to let her go off without – monitoring her, controlling her, knowing where she is at all times, expecting texts and emails at all times, and not being able to have your way all the time. She came to town. You wanted breakfast. You wanted to get the kids together. You want to have coffee. You want to hang out to the concert, and it didn't happen, and you are so butt sore. And it's your butt soredness, which is tied to your unrealistic expectations, that is screwing up this relationship, is going to deprive you of this woman. It is not her fault. It is not her desire to be with you but not be absorbed into your body is not the problem in this relationship. My perspective is slightly different and it comes from the fact that after being married for 20 years, I've been single for the last two years and dating and fairly 
I would say successfully in the sense that I've had a number of dates, using your wisdom at all times, Dan. And one of the things I have found out is uh, that you have to take people as they are, that there's an expectation. This may have been why my marriage ended, that you want the people you're with to fit into a certain expectation that you have of the relationship that you feel you should have. Your partner should be devoted and present at all times and supportive and X number of checklists. Who knows where we get those checklists from books or from stupid movies or from your own insecurity. And uh, the most important thing I, I say to myself all the time, and I can say to anybody else who's dating, I guess this goes for gay people as well. You tell me. I will. Take them as they are. If a person shows up, they can offer you things A, B, and C, but not D, E, and F. That's who they are. And what they say, if, 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 often what I hear from people is, my, my partner is falling short of my expectations and it's destroying the relationship. And I was looking at them and saying, maybe you could change your expectations. Exactly. Maybe you have unrealistic, unworkable expectations that anyone you're ever with is going to fall short of and it's self-sabotage. Exactly. And, and, you can't change that person. You want to be with that person. Change your expectations. And everybody who probably is hearing this, if they've been in a relationship, has experienced that from the other end where your partner is saying to you, if you really loved me, you would X or Y or whatever it may be, that it's not something you thought of doing or knew how to do and yet they're angry you for not – instinctively know to do. Right. If you really loved me, you would be reading my mind and meeting my needs at all times. And the fact that I have to ask you sometimes to meet a specific need of mine means that you failed as a partner. Right. Because I shouldn't have to articulate that. And that really sucks to be in that position. And you straight guys get that worse than anybody else, I, I have think, to say. Really? Yeah. Do guys not do that guys, guys? don't expect – fags don't expect fags to be able to read their minds. That That, that is actually – I'm going to gender this. I know there's 3.5 billion men, 3.5 billion women. There will be 7 billion people, hundreds of millions of exceptions. But I do think that he didn't anticipate naming needs. He didn't read my mind. Is more of a kind of a girl-slash-woman thing. Wow. Hang up expectations. Although we should say before people – get on our case for this, that we are talking about a guy who's doing that to a woman right now. I know. Here are hundreds of millions of exceptions, and here we have two of them. There you are. But I do think that's important. So if this woman, if you're still listening to us, <laughs> if this woman... Think, the text of Eric's youth aren't even listening to us. I mean, you know, they're on their phones. Adjust your expectations to who this person is and what she's willing to offer you. If that's not satisfying to you or sufficient to you, then you should gently break up with her. I'm not into dumping. Hi, Dan. I'm a text of Eric's youth. I have a question about attending Catholic baptisms. I'm encountering many of these coming from a Catholic family, and I find the concept of washing away a child's original sin that has been passed on to him from his parents to be one of the most offensive concepts I've ever encountered. And I've found ways to politely duck out of attending Catholic baptisms with family and friends, but... I guess I just wanted to know your thoughts. Do you find the idea that by parents creating a child out of having sex with each other, they are passing the sin on to the child? Don't you think that's kind of the, that's the foundation for generation after generation of mentally twisted people who have been sex shamed and body shamed into submission? So I believe you were a Catholic priest for 20 oh, years. Oh, I was, yes. I can absolutely it. speak of this. No, I am actually kicking this soccer ball back to you, Mr. <laughs> Savage. This Catholic rights. Although, I got it. Like, this is me. You're upset about having to – if I understand, she's going to go to a baptism of a child in her family, mm-hmm. right? And you're thinking that that might be sort of weird and savage and unpleasant. I am a Jew. We have brisses. We have circumcisions. All they're going to do to this little kid is splash some water on it and say some words. Right. And, and – 98% of the people at the baptism have no idea that what the ritual symbolizes is washing away original sin. Exactly. So 
it's just like, do you storm out of weddings when you realize that the father is walking the bride down the aisle because that's so sexist? It's rooted in these notions that uh, female children are property and that the father has a right to give the daughter as property to the her, the person who's about to become her husband and then she becomes his property. Really, the the father walking the bride down the aisle is the last vestige of marriage as property exchange. Right. And but people don't read it like that. People now sort of understand it as this kind of affectionate paternal sort of a paternal love being acknowledged as you know and the father's but anyway yeah, I'm not making any sense. And, and unless caller, unless you storm out of weddings when the father walks the bride down the aisle, I really don't think you need to storm out of a baptism because what this means to the Pope is one thing, but all it means to everyone gathered is welcome to the family, little brat. Yeah. And just like his father or his or her mother was baptized, now she is. It's a continuation. It's a ritual. It's I mean, a ritual. all these rituals are silly. Cultural Catholicism. Yes. And yeah, I do agree that you know the concept of original sin, all the bullshit in the Bible about why women uh, bear children in pain and suffering and bleed every month. Tons of sex negativity from your half. Hey. Of the Bible, I Thank have to you. say. I feel good about it. Take some responsibility we, 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 on behalf yes, of the Jews. You guys are responsible for the shit. repression. We're responsible for the guilt. No, I'm the concept, happy to do it. this like cast out of the garden bullshit yeah, and, know. you know, original – well, not original sin, but eat the apple, the tree of knowledge. Yes. That, that's all Jew crap, I have to say. We get we get held accountable for it all the time. We I, Catholics, I, I I know we frankly we should. I think the lesson here is everybody blame Jews more. <laughs> There's just not enough, enough not enough that we Jew get grief in for the world. exactly. But yes, I agree that there's tons of sex negativity in the Bible, particularly and in religious traditions, shaming women's yeah. bodies. And but I just think in the like casually worn rituals of a family that is culturally Catholic. I just don't think that that's the hill you want to die on, noisily no. storming out of a baptism. Yes. When, yeah, maybe it means that if you dig into what the ritual means, but if nobody knows that's what's happening, how does it impart it? How does it perpetuate generations of sex shame and body issues? It just I, doesn't. It seems to me that if this young woman goes ahead and does this 10 years from now, after a couple of drinks, she's going to be apologizing for this silliness to the, her family or her sister who was ever having the baby for being so silly about it. So you keep saying you're a Jew. I have mentioned that. Are you observant? No. I love you. Really? Yeah. Oh, because thank you. you. Your kind of Jewy thing yeah. rescued uh, – allowed for me to be the kind of Catholic I am. Now. I have thought about that, that you that the, everybody refers to themselves as cultural Jews. I'm Jewish culturally and my ex-wife had trouble understanding that. If I never went to synagogue and didn't really believe in God, I, what I like to say is I'm an agnostic, which is what a, a Jew says when he's really an atheist but he's afraid God will find out and be mad at you. <laughs> Uh, but we all say, oh, we're culturally Jewish. That means we enjoy the language and the food and the history and sort of the, the traditions. But I, cultural Catholic is something that I've heard recently. And your particular kind of cultural Catholic with a kitchen in your house and you love all the rituals and all that stuff, that's relatively new to me. And I, and I have to say that, you know, that I – it would led to me sort of embracing cultural Catholicism's identity was all the cultural Jews that I got to know when I was about 25, 26 years old. I met all these people who were Jewish who – didn't believe in God any more than I did, ate all the bacon that they could possibly get their hands on, but we're still getting together to do Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah yeah. and sort of affirm their cultural identities as Jews and tie themselves to the generations of Jews that came before them. And I was like, wow, if Jews can do that, why do I, you know, between age like 16 and 28, I insisted I was not Catholic. And I always felt a little weird saying, cause I felt very Catholic. Yeah. And now I just say I'm Catholic for, and there's two benefits. Like I'm, 
culturally Catholic. It ties me to my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents. But it also it drives Brian Brown and Bill Donahue absolutely insane. Which is a benefit. Atheist cocksucker like me <laughs> calls himself a Catholic and strolls into a Catholic church like, of course, I belong here. Yeah. What's interesting for me is that uh, because we have this whole chosen people thing going on is that I am, from the perspective of the Jewish versions of Bill Donahue, not a lost cause. They would take me in in a second if I just came back. They would love me. The because, reform? Because they didn't – well, no, no. I mean like the serious Jewish Orthodox people because I was born a Jew. So for them, I'm always a Jew. Mm-hmm. So I can say whatever I want, but they'll take me back. There's but do no, you have to then straighten up and fly ride to be taken? Oh, away? yes, eventually. You have to put the bacon aside yes. and grow the forelocks? I'm not going to do that. Although once many years ago, I went to a section of Brooklyn. I can't remember which one it was. I think Williamsburg where there were a lot at that time of Orthodox Jews who went to buy some uh, – my brother is a rabbi. Can you believe that? What kind of job is that for? Is a he nice a cultural Jew, Jew rabbi? He or is a reform Jew, Jew rabbi. rabbi. He, he, he purports to believe in God. Sometimes I have my doubts, but he's out there. And I went to buy him a, um, some Pesadika cake for Passover. That is cake that's kosher for Passover. So we went to this very Jewish – Also known as not delicious cake. Right. Oh, this was pretty good. That's is why it? we had to go to Brooklyn to get it. And <laughs> I've had some of those Jewish oh, holiday cakes. The worst. Jewish for the holidays cakes? Like, like cakes for the Jewish holidays. They're just like – you're cutting out the middleman between the preparation of the like, cake and the compost right, of the cake. Exactly. Just like take it right from the oven no, to the yard. The throw this the was good, bin. which is why we went. And we were walking down the street and it was filled with the Judaica stores and uh, all these Orthodox Jews with the hats and the beards staring at me. And I was like, they know. They know. And I started having this anxiety attack that they were going to grab me and drag me into a – a seller and reconvert me. I had the same anxiety attack when I was in Vatican City in the Vatican Museums with my boyfriend. Really? Do you know how we overcame it? Oh. We found a quiet corner and we had sex. Really? Mm-hmm. In the Vatican? In the Vatican. First gay sex ever in the Vatican. I'm oh, thinking. I'm sure that's true. Yeah, I bet. Oh, that's never been done. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure over the centuries that... <laughs> the Sistine no, Chapel there were paintings like, have been there. There were two. There was a century there, the 17th century, where uh, St. Peter's throne was basically a slave. <laughs> I'm sure. Hi, Dan. I'm a 24-year-old woman. I've been in a long-term committed monogamous relationship for the past four and a half years. And my partner and I have had a lot of issues around many subjects. But the most recent one is that he absolutely would like a non-monogamous open relationship in his life. And I feel pretty monogamous. I don't really desire sleeping with other people. And I know that he does. And so my question for you is, after listening to a lot of your work and after reading a lot of your work, I've kind of realized that the only way probably to keep my boyfriend around is to open myself up to an open relationship and to allow him to sleep with other people and fulfill all of his sexual uh, fantasies. My only fear is that I won't be comfortable with that. I feel like I will be tortured, and I feel like I will be uh, overly curious and really upset by knowing that he's sleeping with other people. So my question for you is this. Do you think that... If one person really feels like they would thrive in an open relationship and another person feels like they would not thrive in an open relationship because they are really tortured by the thought of their partner sleeping with someone else, what is the solution there? This is one where you can almost sidestep the issues at play and just consult the actuarial tables. Right. 
But she's 24 years old. She's been in this relationship for 4.5 years. I was thinking that. Nobody at 30 is with the person they were dating at 19. Right. That's absolutely – well, sometimes, but it's very rare. And often if they are and it's a mistake, they come to regret. I will completely agree. Certainly, God knows I should not have been at the person – I I was about to say I should not have been with the person I was with at 19. But I just about said I should not be the person I was at 19. And both are true. Both are true. Um, Let me ask you a question because you know all – it has come to my – it seems to me, talking to various friends and, and getting to know people in their personal lives, that it's almost a cliche that a boy will say – I'll use boy and girl. A boy will say, I want to open up a relationship. Let's have an open relationship. The woman regretfully maybe agrees because she wants to keep the relationship, but the boy goes and screws around and the woman never does, mm-hmm. although technically they have an open relationship. Is that common? I think that's – Somewhat common and some women get to that point uh, under the same kind of duress that this woman is putting herself under. If the right. only way I can keep him is to let him do this thing, that the thought of which is torturous, right. I will let him do this thing to keep him. I think what some people find though after the reality of the thing happens is that the reality isn't as torturous right. as the, the the thought of it. Right. The, the anticipation or the, the the fears aren't borne out by the reality. Right. And so it becomes less torturous. I do know people who are in successful long-term open relationships where that are loving and functional where it's technically open for both but only one person ever acts on it because right. the other person isn't really interested in sleeping with anybody else. Yeah. But it works because the person who isn't interested in sleeping with anybody else doesn't feel tortured or deprived or anything else. Right. They're, they're fine with their partner fucking around. They don't want to fuck around. They could if they wanted to but they don't. It doesn't sound like you, caller, would be fine with this – but the only way to find out if you could be fine with it is to allow for it right? and then see. And if you allow for it and it's every bit as awful and torturous, then end it. Right. If what your boyfriend knows about himself is he wants an open relationship as his long-term multi-decade committed relationship and he needs that to be happy, but him having that kills you, then you break up. Uh, I feel in saying in giving advice or wisdom, I'm really echoing everything I've learned from Dan, but nonetheless – um, it seems to me that uh, thinking about jealousy, thinking about that torture that you feel, thinking about your boyfriend off with somebody else, it really comes from insecurity. You're afraid that if your guy is out sleeping with some other woman, then you'll lose him. You'll lose his affection, his loyalty, his connection to you. That is, speaking as a heterosexual man myself, probably not the case. Probably he'll go out and have his fun and come back to you, um, especially if your relationship is as strong as you indicate it is. And so it is possible that allowing it, as Dan suggests, would you would find your way to a place where it doesn't torture you, where you realize that he's getting his rocks off, he's having the sexual variety he wants. I'm assuming he's your age, he's in his twenties, and that you can you and he can still have the kind of intimate emotional relationship that you already have, which is great. It's also possible, as Dan says, that it will still continue to be torturous, no matter how much you tell yourself it's not important, it's just sex, it's just him sowing his wild oats, in which case yeah, then probably it's not going to work out. Can I throw out a third possibility? You may. It's possible you may allow him to do this and this is not something you want. You don't want to sleep with anybody else. In three years, you feel very differently. Yeah. It's possible that in three years, you may be sleeping with someone else yourself. It's possible that you could say to him, I can't let you do this. If you want to be with me, we have to remain monogamous. And then in three years, you find yourself reopening the conversation because you would like to sleep with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people in non-monogamous relationships you know, because monogamy is the default setting and people go into monogamous commitments without thinking about it or negotiating it, 
Because even just, for, I think for straight people, it's not true of gay people, for straight people, initiating a conversation about whether we're going to be monogamous or not, just that somebody initiated that conversation is a red flag and you should yes. run from that person. But often what seems so important and definitional and crucial at 20, 22, 24 becomes less definitional, less important, the more secure you feel in the relationship, the less consequential him touching somebody else with the tip of his dick is going to feel 10, 20 years <laughs> in. So it's funny if that's just, all he did. Just because you're here boink, now. Boink, boink, Famous example on my show is, you know, my husband Terry was very, very, very invested in monogamy <laughs> when we met at 23. Not so invested in it anymore at 27. Right. And he's 27. He's forever 27. I understand. We he have looks to give it. his age as 27 on this show at all I, times. I follow him on Instagram. He could pull it off. Um, to use a phrase. He has Sorry. nothing left to pull off. I know. If he pulls anything else off on Instagram, he's going to get his account. I remember you telling the world he was so shy. Um, the Yeah, I will say this to you, 24-year-old. When I was 24, uh, I never would have believed that open relationships work. Uh, now I know all these people in open relationships, and they're as happy or happier than the monogamous people I know. And so it is possible. It can be done. Maybe not by you, but you might surprise yourself if you allow it. Peter Sagel, thank you so much for dropping in. Thank you. I, I'm, I've said this to you in private. I'll say this to you uh, in, in, in on the radio. So but we, will, we can edit it out. Yes, I know. If you don't want to hear it. But this is just going to be like Colbert. Is this an intervention? This is not an intervention. This is gratitude. Because as I said, in, uh, my 20-year marriage ended and I was found of myself in the world of dating and singledom again and negotiating relationships as well as negotiating why my relationship failed. And I found your wisdom, your advice – even uh, your slapdowns of people who were not me, so useful and uh, enlightening. And it seemed to you know, have the effect. It's like it, it, For me, it was like those lights that come on on a runway at night and show the plane where to land. And I was like, oh, this is how we'll do it. This is how we will engage with people. This is how we will treat people, i.e. honestly and decently. This is how we will deal with my own anxieties because whenever I started doing something stupid, and I did, I just imagine Dan taking my call and saying, you idiot. And I never do anything stupid. No, no one ever never. Has, no one ever has to say you idiot so to me. I, I, I'm here. I'm, I'm honored to participate to whatever value I gave your callers or your listeners. But really, I just wanted to say on behalf of your listening public, oh, well, thank, thank you. you for what you've done for everybody. I think thanks to you. There are a lot of people out there. I'm one of them who are living happier lives. But you're not paying strict attention because if you were, you wouldn't describe your 20-year marriage as having failed. It ended. It I don't ended. think people have. I don't think people I, have to die for a relationship. I, I, to I, I, am, I, I am legally, <laughs> legally forbidden from discussing why, in this particular case, my choice of words might have been appropriate. <laughs> but let's just say that, in general, I have also cited what I think of as what do, what do you call it in your book? The funeral? No, the funeral home rule. Yeah, that you don't have to end a relationship in a funeral home with one person looking at the dead body of the other to call it a success. I think that's very wise. I have thought that. There, I've had a lo number of lovely relationships in my two years of singledom, which ended quite happily, and I think of them as being very successful. Good. I'm glad to hear it. And, uh, and that's to, due to you. So thank you. Hey, Dan and Nancy and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. Um, this is the bi lady from the uh, Northeast from a few episodes back who um, was wondering about ask, or telling her boyfriend about abuse in the past. And I just wanted to let you know that I took your advice, Dan, and I told him about, you know, just like you told him, I told him what I told you. And, you know, he was just the most loving. He just held me. 
and he didn't have a let's go kill the bastard reaction. And um, I'm going to cry. I just want to say thank you so much for your wonderful advice. Hi, I'm calling in response to the girl who is worried that her fiancé might hook up with strippers at his bachelor party. I really like what Dan said about bachelor and bachelorette parties sending the terrible message that the fun has to end when you get married. And I agree with his opening suggestion that they call off the parties if it's going to make her feel so insecure. But beyond that, I think they should probably also call off the wedding. If you're so insecure about the strength of your relationship and so untrusting of your partner's judgment that you're worried about his bachelor party tearing you apart, then getting married seems like a really bad idea. Don't marry someone you don't trust. If you're one of those people who thinks being married will magically make you feel less insecure about your bond, you're wrong. It won't. It just makes it a hell of a lot more expensive to break up when you do. Hi, I'm just calling in response to the question about the bachelor and bachelorette party. I just had a bachelorette party last weekend that my sisters threw me, and it was awesome. And after I was given beautiful lingerie by many of them, I decided that I would be the stripper. And I put on many layers, and we pumped some music, and I stripped for 15 lady friends. And it was awesome, because we kept teasing about who was going to be the stripper and um, when the stripper was going to get be there. Uh, and it was me, and it was fun. And we had a great time and didn't get plastered and have sex with randos. So that's always an option. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Peter Segal on Twitter at Peter Segal. Or Peter Sagal, I forget. And speaking of Twitter, Rosie Gray tweets, Guy in Iowa state hat yells, You suck, Scott Walker, as Scott Walker moves about the fair. Just reading this tweet out to emphasize the importance of commas unless you're accusing Scott Walker of sucking Scott Walker, unless Scott Walker is limber and this is about autofellatio, you need a comma after suck. You suck, comma, Scott Walker. Otherwise, you're saying, or maybe this was yelled at somebody standing just to Scott Walker's left. Commas, punctuation, it's important, even on Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for coming.